Scargill was right. But um, it's too late now, of course. Hello and welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And we're now into 2022. So with that, I thought we'd start things off with a bang. And that was Jeremy Paxman. I'm sure you recognize his voice, but that was Jeremy Paxman, the legendary presenter of Newsnight, the legendary presenter of University Challenge, and author and historian. Now, we're talking about his new book, Black Gold, The History of How Coal Made Britain. Uh, Now, this is a really great book. I I read this over the Christmas period, and it takes the mining industry, coal mining industry, from the very beginnings in the early 19th century. And he demonstrates not only how coal was so instrumental in driving the development of the British Empire and the Industrial Revolution, but he does it in such a way that he really does show uh, the work and the sacrifice and the uh, the well, it was literally backbreaking work in many cases. But the uh, the sheer struggle that miners went through in getting that black rock up out of the ground and then shipped off to drive all kinds of industry, the Royal Navy in particular, and trains as well, and those vital industries that built Britain into what it is today, really. And then he moves on into the 20th century and the struggles with successive governments in seeking to become uh, trade unionised and for nationalisation before he then finally deals with the well, very much still controversial miner strike of 1984 and 85 when Arthur Scargill, and that was who Paxman was mentioning, um, the leader of the National Union of Mine Workers, led a strike against the government of Margaret Thatcher in a battle to save coal mining in Britain. Now, that battle was ultimately unsuccessful, but Arthur Scargill is is a very much a controversial figure still and does come out of the of the book not brilliantly uh, there are a number of decisions that Scargill made that uh, probably he shouldn't have if he was seeking to really um protect his his mine workers one of the most controversial of which was refusing to hold a ballot a vote uh for his union to decide whether to go on strike or not but anyway, uh, I'd encourage you to, to get the book, actually, because uh, I, when I, when I um, saw that it was out, I wasn't quite sure that it would be, I'm being all on, on, very, very honest here, I wasn't entirely sure it would be that much of a thrill to read about Cole, but I, how wrong was I? It's absolutely uh, uh, quite a, I, I, I raced through it, actually, it was a, a very enjoyable book, so I do recommend it. Anyway, so we have a great chat was a little bit nervous because it's Jeremy Paxman. Um, and at some point I thought he would start interviewing me, but luckily uh, I'm, you know, 
very much low down the pecking order. So uh, Mr. Paxman has bigger fish to fry and he was on good form. Elsewhere at Aspects of History, we were running a winter festival on YouTube that's free to free to visit. Just head over to the YouTube, look for Aspects of History um, and there's plenty of links on our Twitter as well. But you'll find videos where we've interviewed, I've interviewed... Andrew Roberts on Georgia Third. We've had Tessa Dunlop talking about women in the army. Paul Lay uh, talking about Oliver Cromwell, and finally Robert Lyman talking about the Far Eastern campaign. So head on over, all for free, um, and you can uh, watch and enjoy those. Hopefully, now we've got coming up. I've got after after Jeremy's. Um, podcast today i've got saul david coming up and he's just written a book about the sbs the special boat service so we're talking a little bit about that and he's a long-running historian now bit bit of a veteran now and he's written many books so i'm going to go into a little bit talk a little bit about his his previous books as well um he he's written about the 19th century and he's done stuff on the world war one and he's written a few historical fiction novels as well. So we're going to have a little bit of a chat. So that'll be over uh, coming successive weeks. So I'll probably split that into two. So anyway, I'm enough of me rabbiting on. Over to Paxo, Jeremy Paxman. And I do hope you enjoy. And if you do, please subscribe. Please uh, like on, on iTunes. It really does help. And thank you for listening. Jeremy Paxman, welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. I didn't think I'd ever say that. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for agreeing to speak to me. And I'll just explain a little bit about Aspects of History. Uh, we are a magazine and website dedicated to history and historical fiction. Oh, well, that's great. Good, good, good. Yeah. And what, you're, you're out, out to put history today out of business, are you? Uh, we uh, we have no enemies. We are friendly to everyone. We um, so we we're happy to because we are really all about selling books. We just want to um, uh, anyone who writes a piece for us can use it wherever they want. So they could use it in history today if they like. Um, the theory is all uh, we're we're, we're uh, we don't really have any enemies. We're all we're all, we're nakedly commercial, unlike history today, in that. Our, our goal is for our readers to buy books. And we're, oh, well, good for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. good luck. I, uh, that was my partner you probably saw come in, attempt to sort out uh, how this fucking Zoom thing works. <laughs> um, and she's a publisher, so she'd be glad to be in touch with you, I'm sure. Oh, really? Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would love to be. Love to be. Um, well, how are you? I'm fine. Well, I, I, you probably get asked that all the time, and, and so forgive me for asking. But um, but sorry, I've got Parkinson's, so um, people expect you to be. I, I I don't have the shaky bit. I have right. a, I have steady hands, as you can see, but I have the other, I have some other characteristics. And, and uh, right, well, I hope. It, uh, well, it sounds like today is a, a better day. I guess you take each day as it comes. 
Yes, you do. Right. You have to. You have no yeah. choice. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, look, I, I'll get on with it. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, firstly, uh, why you write, wrote the book? Because when I, when I initially looked at it, I thought, you know, Cole, why? But once you look into it a little bit more, it's a bit obvious. But I was just interested to know why you, you wanted to write about it. Well, um, there were two reasons, really. One was I happened to be in one of those shitty little villages in South Wales, you know, where there's, uh, there's, I thought, looking at it, there is no reason to understand why this, this village exists, exists at all. Uh, because all the infrastructure of the, of, of coal mining has disappeared from our lives. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's no, the winding gear has disappeared, the slag heaps have been landscaped. And you, you think of that, and you think also, it, there is nothing more nakedly capitalistic than digging something out of the ground and doing something with it. And I rather admire those people who, do, who, do, who, did, um, who did all that uh, from scratch. And I, I just was interested to try to make something of it. Well, that really comes across in the book, your admiration for them. And I, my only real memory of, of, of coal mining is from all the, the, the strikes and the, the strife in the 80s, because obviously I'm not old enough to remember anything, anything more. But this, this is a noble um, profession that, that was... I just had huge amount of of sympathy for and, and admiration for the, the the coal miners from the from day one. Really, such a difficult job. Yes, I mean they wouldn't. I don't think they would have called it a profession. It was it was a, it was a, a manual labour, a very very hard form of manual labour, but it was manual labour nonetheless, and it wasn't a profession. A, a way of life. Exactly. Yeah. And the problem, I think, that came about in the 1980s was that because people couldn't imagine another way of life than that which they were used to, and same for all of us, I suppose, when Thatcher set about dismantling the coal mines, people couldn't f thought it was a destruction of their way of life. Although I never, ever met a miner who wanted his son to go down the pit do you think that would have been true of their 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 parents and their grandparents that they wouldn't have wanted their own you know that generation that were the final generation to be down the pits i don't think so i i, I think it, i think it would have been true of their I, I don't think anybody ever wanted everyone who ever did it recognized that it was a terrible way of life and it was merciless absolutely merciless there is that's probably a prevailing view nowadays that I think Heseltine gives a quote. You've you've put that quote in the book that Heseltine gives. Is you know no regret. You know it was a terrible, a terrible, um, a terrible uh, experience to be down those mines. But I guess in dismantling the community at the same time, it, 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 that's what made it such a horrific uh, end to the to the to that way of life. That's true. That's certainly true. I mean, they couldn't, they, could, they couldn't imagine a different way of life. 
And you know, you 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 think of the place where you grew up, and you think of all, you know, its whole raison d'être is taken away, and the buildings around you are torn down. Of course, you people wanted to to hang on to their way of life. And so the government really, the the Thatcher government, didn't bother to put anything in place. I guess beyond redundancy payments to 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 um, to, to well to they did they did I mean there's, in some of these places there were I mean for example up in the northeast there was the Nissan factory which was opened to give employment to former miners so there were there were substitute sources of employment but you know you can't it's very hard to imagine something that's entirely without your experience. Yeah, I, I and that I mean the last line in the book actually isn't isn't it, 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 where you I, I forget the exact line it's something something like you know can we imagine that type of work will we be able to remember that type of work I mean certain me living in the nice comfortable southeast I just can't you know can't imagine anything like that but do you think we've reached that stage already? You know that 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 we can't remember, or we won't be able to remember people doing that kind of work. I don't think we will be able to remember people doing that kind of work, and um, it's very very sad. I mean, you know, there is an energy crisis coming, and everyone can see that now. Uh, and this was the only form of energy that was available in this country at that time coal and they needed people to dig it out of the ground so you know men went underground and and sacrificed their health and their well-being and the and the well-being of their family in order to do it very often and i don't know that there's any alternative really i mean we can go around putting up wind farms and and photoelectric uh screens in order to 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 maximize uh, photovoltaic uh, energy but i don't think it's gonna i don't think it's going to be easy to, to to find a substitute for coal no we're kind of relying on science to find an answer that doesn't exist yet aren't we we are yeah that that and imported gas from mr putin from, partly from mr putin but also from very unstable areas of the world like north africa and so on but then, I mean, we, we don't really have any more mines in this country, do we? So we'll just be importing more coal. We will, yes. I mean, we just carry on importing. We, we import currently from Eastern Europe, from South America and from Australia and from China. And sooner or later, those sources of supply are going to run out. Now... I mean, the, the part, we import coal partly because producing coal in this country became so unprofitable. But was that, why was that? I mean, was that because we were basically, miners were going down, um, working off, you know, infrastructure made in the 19th century? It, what was the reason for the lack of productivity? I rewatched Billy Elliot last night, and uh, that was filmed in Easington. A colliery in the north, what northeast of England, 
And there, the, the, the mine shafts were going out seven miles under the sea. Well, of course, you could, you could go out seven miles, you've got to walk seven miles back again. And of course, it becomes uneconomic to mine coal in those circumstances. All the obvious seams of coal have been exploited. So you are left with more and more difficult seams and more and more time spent gathering the coal. And the, the big cost in, in, in coal was, was the cost of getting it out of the ground. I mean, it costs nothing. It's just a rock. I, I guess it, in, in a lot of countries where they don't have to worry about environmental impact so much, you can do open, was it open cast? Open cast mining, yes. Well, that's right. They, they do do that. But sure as hell, someone's going to suffer for it. Oh, well, yeah. So, and, and, the, and, the, and the, sheer, um, the, the, the sheer agony that the miners went through in the 19th century is exacerbated by the sort of vast sums that were sort of raked in by the, uh, by the landowners. Now, yes. I mean, it's mind-boggling the amount of money that that these is the is Marquis of of Butte and the Marquis of Londonderry and their you know descendants all accumulated. It's it was staggering, and it was through through no effort at all. You just happened to own the land. I, I mean, because I, I was reading it, thinking, you know, this is such a waste. You know, it's so much money going to one person. I mean, more money than they knew what to do with. And you, you, you. <laughs> you 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 um you, you list out sort of where they spent their money on on just you know insane projects it, it just seems it just seems you know there was no i guess political will or even understanding to to to, to maybe think about not allowing private individuals to well that was the that was the goal of the miners from from about the turn of the 19th century nationalize the pits Nationalize the pits, nationalize the pits, nationalize the pits. And it happened eventually in the 20th century uh, after the Second World War. Coal was nationalized and they couldn't make it go of it. Because I guess they had, um, they, they had exhausted all the, um, the seams that were easily accessible? The easily exploitable seams had been exploited. And the miners themselves were being paid too much. But they were paid a pittance during the, the 19th century. Yeah, they were. They was... were. But the boot was on the other foot. Hmm. The rise of trade union power meant that, that uh, the wages of miners rose. And now they were always let down, weren't they, the miners, uh, um, by the leadership. Of, of the trade unions is that is that is that a fair I don't think they were always let down I don't think they were always let down they were rather looked up to by the rest of the the the, the trade union movement because they recognized it was recognized that it was a very very tough job I don't think they were always let down they were occasionally let down sometimes they were let down yes but they were bloody difficult to deal with well, they were the, the, when you say they were looked up to by the rest of the trade union movement. I guess that's the is that that's where they're the aristocracy of the the trade union movement, weren't they? They were the aristocracy of the trade union movement, and many of their employers were genuine aristocrats. <laughs> uh, 
I still could. I, I, it just seems such a waste of, I guess, national resources as well. All that money just going to, um, you know, follies in in in, in Cardiff Castle and, and things like that. Well, I don't agree. Um, it's got to be spent. It's going to be spent on something. Would you rather it would go, went into the national coffers and built the Millennium Dome or something? Well, maybe not the Millennium Dome, but. Perhaps one could think of a. Um, I mean, surely that's better than going to some some rich bloke's pad. Yes, some it national is. endeavor. A national endeavor of some kind. I don't know. A Millennium Dome always strikes me as a completely fatuous enterprise. Uh, yes, that cost a thousand million pounds for what? Well, it, now it holds concerts and and it does hold concerts now. Yes. But uh, I, I don't, yeah, that certainly wasn't why it was built. But um, yeah, I, I know. I mean, you know, I'm not a, I'm not going to be defending the uh, Millennium Dome. Go on. We'd Anderson for that on a on a three way conversation, wouldn't we? Yeah. Um, what, what, the the numbers of of miners who 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 were killed during um during the 19th century was extraordinary i mean i could have got this wrong but i think it was around about a hundred thousand is that right in the 19th century or, or was i think could I could well have, be yeah a, a mind-boggling number of of, of 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 people killed and people died every year yeah in one way or another and and i and i was and i was thinking that um i was looking into the numbers of 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 soldiers killed during the 19th century in all of the various wars um, throughout that, that period. And it's around about 100,000 as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure um, people will pick me up on exact numbers, but it's roughly the same figure. But, we, you know, we remember those people who, who, who were killed, but we don't remember those miners at all. I mean, we're, we're, would you say that we're quite an ungrateful nation or is that me, a Southerner, saying that? So therefore, you know... I wouldn't say we were ungrateful. I would say that um, it's easier not to... It, it's easy to imagine the call of the trumpet, the, 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 the siren call to, 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 to fight for your country. It's much easier to imagine that than it is to imagine working down a pit. And working down the pit was... Uh, I mean that that the hundred thousand is just deaths. I mean there are there, there are. I mean those are deaths in accidents. I think that you know the, yeah. the illnesses. Countless you know. countless who were, who were maimed uh, or suffered miners' lung or other forms of respiratory illness or brain disease. A lot of them went blind too. I mean because the, the hours. Were, I mean they were they were down there for sort of twelve hours or so, weren't they? Yes. I mean, that's, it's difficult to get anyone to do a 12-hour day in, in, a, in a comfy office nowadays. It is, yes. But, but so, and then, and then also, uh, there was one quote that struck me from a union leader in, I think it was in 1944, who, who, and obviously this is prior to nationalisation, um, when he said that there was no, uh, owners had never, done anything for miners uh, safety wise now obviously that's coming from the opposing side but was that was that right or or were there any, any i don't think it was i don't think it was entirely true i mean 
The miners liked to exaggerate how dangerous a game it was. Of course they did. And um, I think there was an awful lot of uh, bad blood, such bad blood all round, that um, it wasn't surprising when people made up things like, They've never done anything for, 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 for the miners. I don't think it was true. There were things that were done. Um, but, you know, if you are the boss, you have to live with the, for the stigma of being the boss. I guess they almost dehumanised each other, the, the miners and the, um, and the owners. They viewed each other. They kind of, they kind of deserved each other. They were... They were you know, this was the aristocracy of the labor movement against genuine aristocrats, old-fashioned aristocrats, I suppose, landed aristocrats. So I, I wanted to ask a little bit about that, that the, the, the big strike during um, 84 and 85 that you deal with. I think you deal with it really sensitively, actually, because, um, I mean, I, I don't know, I, 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 my memory of it is, 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 is severely lacking, but... In, in an Arthur Scargill doesn't come off completely terribly in your book, although he's slightly villain of the piece in that period. Um, yes, he is. Uh, with, with his um, nice flat in the Barbican and, and a Jaguar. But he was right, wasn't he, that the Thatcher government was intent to destroy mining? He was right. I mean that's what that's what that's what got me. I thought he was I thought he was re I thought he was wrong and exaggerating. In fact, he was right. Scargill was right, but um, it's too late now, of course. Yeah. And did you ever um, come across him in your uh, reporting days in the eighties? Yes, I did. And and, yes, and I did. He was a very difficult man to deal with. Very difficult. Because he, you know, he, he, the line between truth and untruth with Arthur was a slightly murky one. And he certainly took a dim view of the press, didn't he? Oh, yes. Why not? Well, I get, yeah, most of the papers were backing the government at the time, weren't they? I, I don't know, were they? I, I can't remember. Well, I guess I I, I I say that, yeah. I mean, I don't really. I wasn't reading the newspapers in the uh, in the in in eighty four, eighty five. I just, I guess, it, I get a sense that you know the Sun, the the Times would all be backing Maggie Thatcher. I think that the uh, the miners were having a very fought a very very um, uneven struggle. And that they were bound eventually to be defeated. And and at the Battle of Orgreave, which I haven't really read a, a proper description, it, it always seems to be written from one side or the other. Um, but yeah, I, I'd always assumed it was two violent groups just clashing. But that's not really fair, is it? I don't think it is. I mean, the police, the the police were were deployed as the, as a national police force, uh, which is something quite new in this country. And they were equipped with riot shields and snatch squad shields and batons and so on. And there were scenes there that I thought I would never see in this country. Appalling scenes. 
So, yeah, I think that the, a plague on both your houses, yes. That's a luxurious position. The, the, um, I, I guess the police were backed up to the hilt by the, the, the Thatcher government and, and there was never really going to be any... They were. I mean, there were, there were unlimited overtime bills paid. Policemen earned vast amounts of money policing that strike. And then, of course, that was uh, the local force, the South Yorkshire police, who, of course, have had a, a rather a checkered history. Yes, um, to say the least. Yes, yes. I guess it was a portent of what was to come. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, could one say that that government backing so early on gave, gave bosses in, 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 that police force a, a sense of sort of impregnability, you know, that you can be criticised? I don't know, I wouldn't. I mean, I think you're a fool if you draw cause and effect out of anything. You can say that one thing happened and then another thing happened, but cause and effect is a very, very difficult line to draw. So with the, um, with the destruction of the, the, the mining um, way of life, it, it seems so weird to me that um, we have that kind of dismantling of, of that way of life. And yet, you know, in 2019, a lot of these communities voted for the very party that uh, kind of did it to them. Yes, many of these, many of these communities were, uh, that's why it's called the Red Wall, not the Blue Wall. Um, <laughs> many of these communities could not imagine anything other than a Labour vote come election time. And some of them did turn Tory, as you say. That was a reflection on what a terrible hole the Labour Party had gone into. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of turned its back on the mo whole movement, hadn't it, bef be well before, um, well, 2019? Well before it. I mean, uh, there, were a lot of, there were a lot of miners who were very, very disgusted with the Labour Party for not supporting them properly during the strike. And a lot of these... A lot of these areas in which the current Conservative government has drawn support were places that felt that sense of betrayal most deeply. I guess also another area of, of, of mining that in Nottinghamshire equally felt betrayed by the Conservative government in the 90s. Yes, they did. They did. And the, those 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 things still rankle. They still, you know, you put two miners together, and the first thing that happens is they size each other up for which side of the strike they were on. And as you know, a lot of the miners be became members of the UDM, Union of Democratic Miners, which was founded uh, during the course of the. NUM strike, National Union Miners strike, and even now those those the bad blood still still survives. You know they they, they really don't care for each other. And the very name, I guess, was a was a picking up Scargill on his decision not to hold a ballot. Yes. Now, would he have won that ballot? Um, I don't know. 
It was cl too close, was it? Well, I don't know. There were a lot of there, there were vast numbers of miners who came out on strike, and there was numbers who didn't. But I, I, I don't know what I don't know. We, we're speculating here. Yeah, speculation is the enemy of the historian. Uh, absolutely, there are some. I was talking to a historian um, before Christmas who was all for it, had no problem with it. Um, so it's always interesting to know uh, who likes to go down the sort of counterfactual route and who doesn't. Well, yeah, okay, but evidence is what we deal with, isn't it? Indeed, indeed. indeed. Uh, so, so Jeremy, are you, are you um, now you finish this book? Are you are you planning another another book on something else soon? I'm working on a book about uh, the trial of Charles the First. Oh, really? Fantastic. The trial itself. I think it's the. I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't decided yet. I'm in the middle of the research. If you could see my office here, you would see I'm surrounded by piles of books which I haven't yet read. Oh well, I, well, I'm, I'm sure, I hope you enjoy that. If you if you could see where I am, obviously I'm not um, got such a, a lovely bookcase as yours behind you, but um, I'm surrounded by Jeremy Paxman books um, because I was reading. Or old your... you? <laughs> well, I was reading. I was reading your. Um, a life in questions which yes was i i greatly enjoyed it's very funny um i'm glad you enjoyed it it's it's well it is it is the genuinely many laugh out loud moments um particularly when your former editor of newsnight um got shipped off to look after the paperclip section in, in the bbc oh yes couldn't happen to a nicer man <laughs> But so I, in reading your 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 book, you you I, I was really interesting because I used to live in um, Belize in Central America in the mid eighties. My oh, father yes. was in the army, and your section on El Salvador was very interesting. Well, I've been to Belize, you know, and um, I once meant made a journey through from Belize to, into Guatemala and then down through Honduras and Nicaragua and El Salvador and Costa Rica and Panama, and then came home again. And uh, I must say, it was a very, very odd part of the world. The British really were not terribly... It wasn't our kind of place, really, at all. I remember meeting British squaddies out there in Belize who'd been, who couldn't quite, couldn't quite get their head around where it was exactly. That's interesting you say that. I, I went back, having lived there in, I think I was, as a family, we were there from 84 to 87. Um, mm. But then I, I returned in 95 to, uh, as an archaeologist um, for six months, which I loved. And I never saw the army when I was um, working as an archaeologist. And you're, you're right. Uh, they, well, they, were, they were certainly never... They were never you excavating Mayan ruins? Yeah. Yes, yeah. on the border of Belize and Guatemala. Yeah. Um, but it, you, you're certainly right that we, I don't think we get it because I, I, I arrived there not really getting it. And it's, it's you know, it's pretty lawless along those um, parts of the world, which it's difficult for a British mind to comprehend. Very hard. I, I heard a story about a, 
a British soldier who um, he when he had his leave, he he only had a few days, so he couldn't go back to to to, to Britain. So what he did was he 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 got on a plane and flew to Miami and then went to the Epcot Center at Disney World to find the it, I don't know if you, you you remember it had all these little uh, sort of countries mini countries so uh-huh. he went he went to the Epcot Center England and the Red Lion pub and sat there, sat there for 3 days and then, and then returned <laughs> to Belize good god Nothing would surprise me, though, about the British soldier. <laughs> um, but the 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 El Salvador that you were you were in, and it is, but it's such a seductive part of the world. I mean, you know, it's it's the people are very friendly. Uh, I guess in El Salvador, that wasn't necessarily true for for some of them. But um, some of them were, some of them were friendly, and some were not friendly. Some were distinctly unfriendly. It was squads wouldn't it be yes horrible yeah it, it it's um i think that's that's again you know the the sort of life is cheap aspect of that part of the world in that period yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, anyway and that well that was that was uh, that was very funny in your uh, life in questions was there was a um a marvelous picture of you interviewing Napoleon Bonaparte. Oh, yes. So <laughs> now there's this documentary actually on Netflix um, all about that, uh, the, 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 the fight between two men to become the Napoleon on the, on the day of the reenactment. I think you obviously you, you've interviewed the, um, was it an interview or was it a, a chance meeting? I think I think it was a, it was an interview. It wasn't it was um, I went there to do a, a feature for the Financial Times. I think it was, and um, the reenactment of the battle. So it was great fun, great fun, and the interview with Napoleon, as was who I think was a small French small businessman. I can't quite re- remember, um, but that was just a part of it. I've, I've watched this documentary where this very same man has created his own little um, Napoleonic empire in his in his house in whichever um, whichever part of France he's in, uh, complete with little signposts saying you are now entering, you know, the the, uh, the empire. Uh, but he was convinced that uh, uh, Napoleon had won the battle. Was he? Was was it? Was he? Was it? Was it a memorable interview, or not? Not up there with your with your favourites. It's not up there with my favourites. I mean, it was a conversation, but I thought it was just extraordinary. You'd have to be French to believe that all that had happened was that uh, Napoleon had reculé pour pour mieux sauter, gone back to jump better. Well, um, that's why we love the French, isn't it? They uh, we don't love them. They w- they wouldn't be French if they weren't like the French, though, would it? Would they? We need we need them to be like that. I think I'm I'm rather with Nelson, who said that uh, I require three things of you, and to, to any sailor who was joining up with him, he said, "You must obey my orders without hesitation. You must love your king." And you must hate the French most damnably. 
I could I could uh, never hate um, a nation which has so many different types of cheese myself, but. Um, I, well, that, that is, who was it said that it that was, was impossible to govern? Yeah, the girl was it yeah, who said that you couldn't govern a country that produced that number of cheeses. Yes, that's pathetic. <laughs> One thing I did detect in your book throughout, uh, and I've noticed this before as well, um, in in that you you did a very interesting debate between Adam Zamoyski and Andrew Roberts uh, about Napoleon. Yes. Napoleon is the big weakness of the French. They persist in thinking he's a great man. In fact, he was a, just a jumped-up little tyrant. <laughs> well, so, okay, I uh, certainly know you came down on the side of Zamoyski in that debate. Yes. Um, and, oh, oh, I didn't, I, one thing I didn't ask, I should have, have you, had you gone down a mine um, during, your, during your research? Yes, I have, several times. And and what was that like? Because that's difficult to to, to comprehend, really. It's terrifying. I mean, I think that many people were apprehensive the first time they went down and then got used to it. And that is true. But it's something about... Well, I'm six foot one. I'm not particularly tall by the standards of our times. But... It's, it's the banging of your head constantly against the ceiling when walking that, that gets you. And that's assuming you can walk. A lot of places you can only crawl. It's horrible. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's easy to get frightened, too. Fear is a product of the imagination, but it is easy to get frightened. I I I I went to um, caves in Ireland uh, once where uh, they turned off all the lights and and that fear really did grab me within, within not you know you have to try and suppress yeah. it but not long after the lights went out within a few seconds. Yes, I've been uh, I've been potholing with a friend and um, uh, he thinks it's fun. I I find it absolutely terrifying. Yeah. It's the fear of being trapped. Not being able to turn around in a space is awful. And, and we're reading about the, the wounds on the... Because it's so hot down there, they had to take their tops off. And the wounds on the uh, vertebrae on their backs from scraping their backs along the, the, the wall, it's just... Yes. Like like the buttons on a buttons on a coat down the back of the down the back on on each vertebrae vertebra. Well, I'm 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 six foot three, and it sounds like absolute hell to me. Awful. Mm. Well, look. I, Don't I, go down a pit. It, what's that? Don't go down a pit. No, I don't think there's much risk of, of that happening for me now. Well, Jeremy, that's probably a good way to end it. So it's been great for aspects of history. It's great for me. So thank you so much uh, for coming on. I, I, I hope you. I hope you. Your magazine is a huge success. I, I'll very happily endorse it, and I hope that you 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 sell lots and lots of copies, and 
I wish you every success. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Okay, great. Well, nice to talk to you. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for your time. Look after yourself. Bye. All the best. Bye. Right, so what did you think? Do let me know. You can email Aspects of History at history at aspectsofhistory.com or you can get hold of me on the Twitter. That um, Twitter address for me is at Ollie, O-L-L-I-E-W-C-Q, Ollie W-C-Q. So you can just get hold of me that way if you like as well. Uh, Mr. Paxman is not on Twitter or any social media. I've read elsewhere that he he thinks it's a nasty place. And I think for the most part, he's probably right. But um, there are nice parts of Twitter as well, like anywhere. Anyway, so interesting chat with him. Very interesting book. And I, the, the, the prevailing um, feeling I got out of it was just empathy for the miners, um, all the miners from who had worked down the pit. And one thing we didn't get into, which it's dealt with very well in the book, of the succession of just huge tragedies. I say huge, hundreds of people killed in... in, in isolated incidents and throughout mining but Aberfan is is probably the most recent um, major disaster in the 60s when a, a slag heap crushed a a primary school in in South Wales and there have been a succession of huge accidents over the years and it's just a horrific um, tale and that's something that comes out of the book very well as well. So there are a few things that have, that were mentioned in our chat, uh, one of which was the Netflix documentary about the reenactment of the Battle of Waterloo in 2015. This was on the 200th anniversary and that's the one where Paxman interviewed the... He, he, the Paxman isn't actually in the documentary but he interviewed the man who is in the documentary who believes he genuinely believes he's napoleon it's definitely worth a watch it's it's amusing it's quite an ironic um film i definitely recommend it and then there is also an article that jeremy referred to that's on the ft website i think if you register you get a few articles free so worth doing and and his article is really good and then finally, I think we mentioned the there was a debate between Andrew Roberts and Adam Zamoyski about whether Napoleon was great or not. And that's on YouTube and uh, chaired by Jeremy Paxman. So I'll put that uh, on, the, on the website as well. And finally, there was the uh, YouTube, uh, our YouTube channel where you can go and see some of our videos. So... Next up, we'll have Saul David, as I said at the start. And I've given you my contact details, so get hold of me if you've got any. Uh, if you want, if you've got any ideas of any uh, authors you'd like me to interview, I'm all ears. I'd love to uh, hear from you guys. Just tell me if there are any any authors, any books that interest you, and I'll see what I can do. Um, if you want to head to our website, you can go to our author platforms. And those are all authors who've signed up to us for us to help um, help with them. And let me know if any 
of those authors are interesting to you and I'm sure I can get them on the show as well. Right, that was it. So until next week, welcome to 2022 and I hope you all have a very successful year. Thank you and good night.